Morning, everybody. How you doing today? On this episode of the show, I want to look at some of the legal aspects or legal consequences of conducting security research that you might not be aware of. Now, before we go any further, I want to cover two quick things really, really quickly. The first, I'm not a lawyer. I think I'm up to speed on uh, laws that impact uh, computers and system usage and cybercrime around the world. I covered that in my graduate studies and have stayed up to date ever since. But at the end of the day, I am not a lawyer. The second is that the basis of this topic is coming from a report from a site called secjuice.com. Um, this is a one... Um, instance of this report of this story. I haven't seen corroboration, um, but the uh, digging on social media, everything does seem to line up and it seems authentic. But again, I haven't seen that sort of um, uh, additional corroboration and I haven't dealt with this outlet before. So we'll take everything with a grain of salt and treat it all as alleged activity and a hypothetical. But that doesn't change the point of what I want to talk to you about on this show. Now, first, the story, and of course, I'm going to link to it in the description so you can read it yourself, but it basically goes like this. Two enterprising security researchers based in the EU were surfing showdown, something caught their eye, and they dug deeper. Lo and behold, what they find is a network of products from a company called Atriant. Now, Atriant makes kiosks that are primarily sold to gambling and entertainment physical properties um, in order to manage loyalty programs. So you can go up and badge in and it says, you know, Mark, you've got 10,000 points. When you hit 15, we'll give you free tickets to the show tonight. Um, something along those lines. So it tracks a lot of sensitive information and they're placed, you know, throughout physical uh, properties um, uh, at the client's location. Now, the researchers dug in and they found a whole bunch of wrong, is really the best way to put it. Um, information was being transmitted in the clear, they could identify specific kiosks, there appeared to be an API, um, FTP sites were writable, there's a whole bunch of security challenges here. And they raised their hand with the vendor and tried to say, hey, we found some of these things, we'd like to responsibly disclose them. So for as a reminder, responsible disclosure is essentially researchers working with the affected organization um, on a specific timeline, normally about 90 days, to get the issue resolved before the information goes public. Um, so essentially giving the companies time to respond so that when the information comes out and whether that's in a um, CVE bulletin, so a common vulnerability exposure bulletin, or as a talk, um, customers and organizations are either already patched or can quickly grab the patch and, and fix themselves so that the disclosure doesn't actually create more harm. So these researchers try to get the company's attention, didn't work, couldn't get anybody answered, basically got the cold shoulder. They went as far as leaving a message on an FTP server, so writing a file to the FTP server to get the uh, admins to call them back about the issue. And we'll get back to that key point later in this story. Getting the cold shoulder, being frustrated, trying to do the right thing, and I truly believe they were trying to do the right thing. They reached out um, to the editor at SecJuice and uh, said, hey, can you help here? They went out on social media. That social media post about that story being written got the attention of the FBI and their fusion unit. Now, the fusion unit is designed specifically to step in in situations like this, where there's researchers with positive intentions who are trying to um, help a company fix their security, and the company doesn't want any part of it. Wheels turn, FBI gets on a call with everybody involved. Um, seems like the company's taking it seriously and they say, hey researchers, let's take this offline so that we can get some legal paperwork behind here and discuss maybe some compensation. So that happens and then from there on out, the researchers think, hey, this is great. The company's doing the right thing. We're gonna see some monetary upside, which is great as well as get credit. 
but the company continues to ignore them, give them the cold shoulder. It ends up in the researchers confronting the company um, at an event, an alleged assault, which may or may not have happened, really depending on your definition of assault. Um, but again, wasn't there, not a lawyer, can't speak to it. Um, and then now the company legally threatening um, action against the researchers. Now, what I wanted to talk about in this episode, though, was that this is par for the course. This is a risk that a lot of researchers are taking. They are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to responsibly disclose it. For the most part, we've seen examples where people are not trying to do that and are just trying to gain notoriety. Um, but in the most part, when people are out in the public and uh, sort of on the white hat side of the equation, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to help um, companies make better products, uh, customers be protected, um, and to gain some credibility as a researcher in the industry. The challenge is, unless there's a published bug bounty program laying out permissions, they may in fact be breaking the law by conducting this type of research. This is why bug bounties exist. This is why third party um, uh, organizations uh, can help broker that relationship to help ease these legal tensions. And again, not a lawyer, but we're looking at the law in the UK, so the uh, Computer mis uh, um, or Misuse Act, um, in Criminal Code of Canada here uh, in Canada, and the CFFA, the uh, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act uh, in the States, they all have very common, uh, very similar language that basically says it's illegal to use a computer or a, uh, a computer system in any unauthorized manner. They don't speak at all, to the security of those systems, to research exemptions, to educational exemptions. They say flat out, you cannot use a computer in a way that's not authorized. Now, authorization based on case law is determined by the people who own the system, which is why when you log in, you'll see banners uh, in the server responses that say, hey, you need to be an authorized user or an employee of X. Um, when you log in, sometimes the windows, you used to get that dialogue that was like, hey, this is a government system, blah, 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 blah. These are all reminders um, and more legal than security to be able to point to saying, hey, you knew what authorized usage was and you went beyond it. This is why we have terms of service. This is why we have user uh, and user license agreements. They all tie back to this potential misuse. Now, reading through what the researchers did um, and the information they gathered, it's clear that they went further than just a simple packet to an IP address to see if it was online like a Shodan does, right? Shodan pings all these IP addresses and records the banner responses. It's clear that in their own admission, writing a file to the FTP, that they have now access deeper into the systems. And where that line is from a security researcher perspective is really hard to judge. Sort of a case-by-case -case ethical or moral decision of how far you can probe into a system to see if it's vulnerable. But from the law's perspective, it's crystal clear. Unauthorized use is anybody using the system in a way that the company who owns it or the people who own it didn't authorize ahead of time. Um, so you probing from the outside and then writing files to their system is, in my opinion, a clear uh, unauthorized use, which is why exactly we have pen testing as a service, we have pen testing as an industry, and there are clear contacts to indemnify the people doing the, the penetration testing so they don't fall under this exact um, legal challenge. Because now we have these researchers who were trying to do the best thing, and um, that is my belief based on their, um, their previous work, based on their responses on social. But what I wanted to highlight and why I'm making this video is because the responses I'm seeing on Twitter in the discussion around this, everybody is siding with the researchers, which I totally get. They're trying to do a good thing and it's easy to vilify corporations. But at the end of the day, these researchers might be in serious, significant legal trouble. Just because you found something and say, hey, look, we're trying to help you, doesn't mean somebody needs to receive help. And we're seeing this, unfortunately, 
decently often where companies have a negative reaction to this kind of uh, vulnerability disclosure. Because when you take off your you know, sympathetic hat for a minute and, and sort of put yourself in the company's perspective, this is a danger to their business model. They are selling to some very um, risk adverse and security aware customers. And from if the technical reports are to believe, they've done a crap job of it, right? It's an absolute house of cards that can just be poked over and everything fall to pieces. Because I'm sure the casinos do not want to explain to their customers why their private activity is being broadcast over the internet in the clear. So this is a fundamental risk to the business model. And here comes these two unknown researchers who say, hey, we have good intentions, trust us. Here's everything that's wrong with your business. Um, and if it leaks, it could be absolutely catastrophic. Of course, the business is going to be uh, very, very defensive. It's rare that somebody, uh, a company culture would allow the fortitude to say, oh, you're right, let's do the right thing here. They're going to want to try to silence it. And hopefully they silence that and they're like, hey, we'll pay you some money. We'll sign some legal uh, um, paperwork so that you can't go speak about this, not come back and attack. But it is a risk. And that's what I wanted to raise is that based on the letter of the law, this could be a risk for security researchers. Um, so even though they're in the EU, this company was based in the States, and the US law is pretty darn clear. We've seen some absolutely horrendous consequences based on this law, but the law is the law until it changes. Um, this is what we have to deal with. And how to change that, it's a whole other thing. I wanted to create this video based on this event, really to get this discussion going. Um, I think there's been massive strides, but I think we need to keep talking about it, especially with um, conference season starting up again. I'd love to see this as a regular topic of discussion. And saying uh, that, let's get it kicked off hit me up online at marknca in the comments down below and as always by email mark and uh, me at markn.ca tell me what you think how are your experiences what do you think of this issue um, let's keep this discussion going let's take it to the next level and let's try to get research um, going in a, in a much smoother manner for everybody involved and help uh, raise everybody up by sharing our knowledge so um, have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the show next time